Open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 2. Let's look at the scriptures, an Old Testament passage and a New Testament passage. I've entitled my message, Mothers Who Make a Difference. I looked this week according to the latest data from salaries.com. If you're a stay-at-home mom and paid for your services, you'd be looking at a medium annual salary of $178,201. Maybe you feel a little underpaid today because many stay-at-home moms and parents work nearly around the clock. Moms wear many different hats. They are employed in many different ways. They must use the skills of being a tutor, a housekeeper, a driver, a cook, a shopper, a negotiator, nurse, launderer, and psychologist, just for starters. So many different roles and responsibilities. Obviously, no one wants to declare the worth of his or her mother solely on their earning capacity or their earning potential. A mother's greatest potential is in her ability to shape the lives of those in her care because she is the biggest influencer, usually in the life of the child. So this morning, let's look at two mothers in scriptures whose lives uh, should be impacting for us and instructive for us. First of all is Jochebed, Jochebed, a protective mother. Jochebed, the protective mother. Pastor Zach read Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. I want to point out some things, kind of an application message here this morning. First of all, Jochebed understood the value of a life. She understood the value of her own children, but she understood the value of a life. Most of you are quite familiar with the setting in this chapter. Pharaoh had ordered the Hebrew midwives to destroy the boy babies. The girl babies could be left alive, but he wanted to destroy the boy babies. And it's mentioned here in Exodus chapter 1. We're right there, so let's read verse 16. And he said, When you do the duties of a midwife for the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stools, if it is a son, then you shall kill him. If it is a daughter, then you shall let him live. The Hebrew midwives disobeyed Pharaoh, equivalent of the monarch or the despot, maybe we would say. They disobeyed that command. And Jochebed understood that command, that it was unscriptural, it was not honoring to God. And so she hid her child after Moses was born. By the way, Jochebed is the first person in the Bible whose name contains the root name for God. So Jochebed, it comes from Yahweh, the first aspect of God's name, Yahweh. So her name means God is glory. Literally, if you're going to say it today, her name means I want to live for God's glory or God be glorified in my life. That's what Jochebed means. We find out not in this chapter, not in chapter 2 of Exodus, but later on, Exodus chapter 6, verse 20, her name. It isn't mentioned in chapter 2 because the focus is on Moses' birth and the future deliverance of Israel. But in Exodus chapter 6, verse 20, we find out that it was Amram and Jochebed, who were both children from Levi, 
and the, from the priestly line, and they married together, and Moses was their child. We see that Exodus chapter 6, verse 20. But they understood the sanctity of life. They understood the value of, of any life, and they trusted God to provide for this child, to protect their child that they brought into this world. The Bible mentions that in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. So let me say, every child has value. In the sight of God, every child has value. That could even include, or it certainly includes, those that have mental or emotional or physical disabilities. And for that matter, every child has a sin nature and a rebellion nature, but they're valuable in the sight of God. And a mother's job is to draw out that child's potential, to develop that child's character so God can use that child, and so he can be like Jacobed for the glory of God. So first notice, she understood the value of life. She understood that God was the giver of life, and he had granted life to their child. They had three of them, of course, and Miriam was the oldest, and then it was Aaron, and then it was Moses. And by the way, all three of those children of Amram and Jacobet are famous in Hebrew literature. Uh, of course, Aaron, the Arianic priesthood, came through him. So Levi, but the Arianic priesthood came through Aaron. And of course, Miriam was the, the poet, the singer of Israel. And Moses was the great lawgiver and leader uh, revered by Israel down through the ages. So obviously, God used the decision of Jacobed understanding the value of life. Second, she recognized the threat of this world. She recognized that there was a threat of this world, and there was a literal threat in their day that, that Pharaoh wanted all the boy babies dead. So she recognized the threat of this world. Satan sought to destroy her son because he was, he was to be the deliverer of Israel from Egyptian slavery. And it says here, about her son, when she saw, verse 2, when she saw that he was a beautiful child. Interesting Hebrew phrase as I was studying this week, it's sometimes translated goodly or special, unique. Some even said called of God. So there was something about Moses. He wasn't just a very handsome child. Every mother thinks that. Oh, this is the most beautiful child ever born. It, it, that isn't what it's saying, that he was beautiful or but he was unique. She recognized that God's hand was upon him. And so she certainly wanted to preserve him because God was going to use him. She didn't know all that that entailed. But Pharaoh sought to kill her son because the Jews were increasing so rapidly. They were becoming so numerous that Pharaoh comments that the Hebrews are growing at such a rate that they may outnumber us. They may overpower us. Or they could side with our enemies. Egyptians had enemies. They could side with our enemies and overthrow us. So he was worried about keeping his power intact. And so he wanted the Hebrew boy babies to be destroyed. Mom and dad, let's think about that for a moment. Mom and dad, this world seeks to capture and destroy the mind Maybe we'd even say the body and certainly the soul of your child. 
Satan wants to destroy the mind, body, and soul of your child, and they need your protection. Children are innocent. The Bible says they're unprotected. If their parents aren't around, they're like a city without walls in the ancient world. If you didn't have walls around your city, you were subject to every raiding band or every marauding group that that wanted to raid you. So a child that doesn't have parents that set down guidelines and discipline and protect them from things that would hurt their mind, soul, and body, they're very vulnerable. So God has brought you into their life not just to bring them into the world, but to rear them for his glory and to protect them from the evil of this world. They need you. Godly parents face real spiritual challenges in rearing their children in today's world. Probably as big a challenge as maybe ever in history. Maybe in certainly any culture that we can think of is the culture today. Parents you had better pay close attention to your kids. We sometimes hear the term helicopter parents, and we get that that's like a hovering mother that child can't ever get out of their sight and overprotective or whatever. But it's not an altogether bad idea, especially when they're young. Parents, you had better pay close attention to your kid, who their friends are, what they're watching, what they're listening to, where they go, not just in our city, but where they go on their computer. You better make sure that you are protecting them because there's a lot of wickedness and evil that would lure them away from you and from God's design for their life. So she recognized the threat of this world. Third, she experienced God's amazing provision. She experienced God's amazing provision. Moses' older sister, Miriam, was given the task. I'm not really sure why Jacobed didn't do that, but I guess it wanted to look more, a little more natural, like a girl was playing by the river. But Miriam was given the task of watching over her baby brother, Moses, as he was put into this ark, keeping a, a watchful eye on the floating ark that housed Moses When the daughter of Pharaoh came down, and Egyptians believed that the Nile was sacred, just like Hindus believe that the Ganges River is sacred, and they bathe in it, believing it's going to give them long life and health, etc. The Egyptians believed that about the Nile. It was the river of life to them. In many respects, it really was the river of life. So even though she was Pharaoh's daughter, and Pharaoh probably had many daughters, and could have had water brought to the palace, brought to her home, and prepared and cleaned and boiled or whatever they might have done in that day. She came down to the Nile River because it was sacred to them. So she comes down to the Nile to bathe there, and she discovers a helpless baby. Pharaoh's daughter discovers a helpless baby. Maybe Moses was crying, and she sends a a servant, or maybe she went herself over to the ark, and as the cover is lifted off, her heart is immediately touched. We're not told that she was a mother. We would assume that she was younger, and she wasn't a mother. She becomes a mother to Moses, but her heart was touched. A mother naturally has a heart of compassion. And she finds this baby boy, you know the story, and she goes against her own father's command. 
Her is Pharaoh's daughter going against her dad's command that all the Hebrew boys should be slaughtered, and she goes against her own dad's command. So she takes some risk here. We would say Jochebed was taking some risk. Jochebed was trusting the Lord to preserve Moses' life. Isn't God's providential care amazing? Here is the daughter of the greatest foe that Israel had, Pharaoh, the daughter of Pharaoh, and she becomes the patroness and the provider for Moses and Moses' family. The very child that's supposed to be destroyed, God works out his providential care so that child is not only preserved, but Jochebed, his own mother, becomes her nurse as well as her mother. Because Miriam says, do you want me to find a wet nurse to nurse the child? She said, good idea, go find one. She just grabs her mother and brings her over. And she probably is being paid, I'm sure, to take care of her own child. That's God's amazing providential care. And every mother here needs to know that God can provide for you. God can oversee the circumstances in your family's life. And God can take care of your child as you submit to him and as you trust him and you obey his word. God will take care of your family as you obey. You can trust God to meet your family's needs. I'm sure there are some families here today that are saying, man, things are really tight. We don't have a lot of money in our budget. We'd like our kids to take music lessons or maybe be in a Christian school or Maybe it's even more basic necessities like clothes, sometimes even food. God can take care of your family's needs. Just as Jochebed trusted the Lord and he met her needs, she can, he can meet your needs as well. Fourth, we've seen she understood the value of life. She recognized the threat of this world. She experienced God's amazing provision. She is included in the hall of faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23, mentions her. That she was one of the great saints in the Old Testament era that are recorded that they live by faith. And God honored that faith and inscribed them in what we call the hall of faith, the hall of fame for believers. Jochebed is included there because she trusted the Lord. Her trust in God made her courageous. And I think those two are tied together. When we really trust God, we really believe God, we really obey God, it gives us a boldness, it gives us a courage that God is going to meet our need. I can obey him and he's going to take care of me and my family. Her faith made her courageous. She had no guarantees that there weren't crocodiles in that part of the river. She had no guarantees that a storm surge wouldn't come along and push baby Moses and the little ark out of sight and maybe out of their reach. Or that Pharaoh's daughter was even going to discover her. She didn't know that. Or that Pharaoh's daughter would be merciful to Moses. She didn't know any of those things. She had no guarantees, and neither do we. Neither do you, moms but you can trust the Lord because he's greater than any of the circumstances of your life or the things that your child will face. The old adage is, fortune favors the bold. It's true. 
Whatever decision she made seemed risky to us, if you really think through this story. And we hear people say, well, she's just a very protective mother. Huh? Guess what? God made mothers protective because children need protection. It's almost redundant to say she's just a protective mother. Now, you know, if they're 17 and you're still protecting them, you've carried it probably too far. But God hardwired moms that way, and we can accept it. But mom, there's more important things than just physical protection or academic excellence for your child or financial success for your child. You should be seeking spiritual progress for your child. That's the most important thing that you can do for your child is to seek their spiritual progress. And if they're little, it's praying for them. It's reading to them. It's talking to them. It's uh, having Christian music playing. It's preparing their heart. It's bringing them to Sunday school and church so they hear the Word of God and their heart is prepared. Don't just seek their advancement in society or their financial well-being seek their spiritual progress that's exodus chapter 2 and jacobed the uh, a protective mother now turn with me to second timothy second timothy chapter 1 and we're going to look at eunice second timothy chapter 1 just five verses here Eunice, I'm describing her as an instructive mother. There's the protective mother and the instructive mother. 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting at verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, a beloved son. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 3, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience, what an amazing statement, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears. I remember your tears, that I may be filled with joy, turning tears into joy. When I call to remembrance genuine faith, the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Those are two names that we don't hear often, children named today, Lois and Eunice. Eunice and Lois are great Bible names. So let's note some things about Eunice, an instructive mother. Number one, she instructed a child in the Scriptures. The Bible tells us that. The Bible tells us that evidently Lois and her daughter Eunice, the grandmother and a mother of Timothy, were saved after hearing Paul preach the gospel. They were Hebrews or they were Jewish. The husband of Eunice was a Greek. He worshiped pagan gods. But they were Hebrew. And when Paul came to town and preached the gospel in Lystra, And the Bible tells us that they were saved. Eunice, Lois, and probably even Timothy. He was probably a young person at that point, but he seems to be saved at the same time. Paul explains the gospel. They trusted God. They moved from, migrated from Jewish uh, religion into full-blown Christianity. 
And they had prepared Timothy to accept the truth. I want you to see that. We're right here in 2 Timothy. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15. Well-known verse. He says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So he's challenging Timothy to continue to understand the Scriptures In verse 14, remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord, not to strive about words to no profit and to the ruin of the hearers. And he says in verse 15, to study the scriptures, but shun, in verse 16, profane and idle babbling that will increase more and more. And he tells him that you have heard the scriptures from an early age. Eunice and Lois had taught Timothy the scriptures and he had a genuine faith. That's what it says in verse 5. I'm back in chapter 1 now. He says, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith. Uh, If you have a fourth revision of the King James, uh, the old King James, it says unfeigned faith. Some translate it sincere faith. It means without wax. It's it's not uh, covered up. He says, you have an unhypocritical faith. That's the word there unhypocritical faith. Timothy, you have a sincere faith. Your parents prepared you. Your mother and your grandmother prepared you. You accepted the Lord, and you have a sincere, unhypocritical faith. Now, that's a heritage that came to Timothy from his grandmother to his mother and then on to him. And a heritage of faith is the best gift that any mother could give their child. Not necessarily piano skills, that's wonderful, or any musical instrument. Not necessarily athletic skills, that's great too. Not necessarily your inherited good looks or your people skills. Those are all wonderful things. But the best heritage that you could give your child is the sincere faith that you have, and you pass it on to them. Grandparents too, because Lois is mentioned here. Grandparents should be reminded that they can have a tremendous spiritual influence in their grandchildren's lives because sometimes their parents are in a hurry or working long hours, and you can influence that child. They love to hear your stories. So moms, let me say to you, read Bible stories to your children. Sing and play Christian music to them. Flesh out the Christian life so that they will always remember your example. So they're caught saying, I wonder what my mom would think. I wonder what my mom would do. And for that matter, I wonder what my dad would do. Live it out before them. So she instructed her child in the scripture number two. She taught her son to maintain a tender heart. She taught her son to maintain a tender heart. He had one. Timothy had one. And Paul mentions it here. Paul still remembered Timothy's tears when he left Timothy at Ephesus to take over the church that Paul had planted and had pastored for three years, been there ministering for three years, and he turned it over to Timothy. And Paul is saying, I still remember when I was leaving you your tears, tears of, of tenderness because Paul was Timothy's spiritual father and he loved him. Timothy loved Paul. Paul loved Timothy. And the parting was sweet sorrow. 
Timothy was now the charge responsible for the church at Ephesus. And Paul remembers that, that Timothy had a tender heart. As dads, we often teach our kids the value of a dollar or the necessity of hard work or the ability to stand alone. But if tenderness is learned, it is probably learned at the lap of the mom. Chances are. That doesn't mean dad should be harsh. But they probably learn tenderness in the lap of their mother. So mothers, don't lose your tenderness by being in such a hurry. Don't lose your tenderness because you're trying to complete everything on the job list. The job list will always be there. There's nothing wrong with getting things done. But don't lose your tenderness because you're living life in the fast lane and that your kids need your attention and they need you to be tender about it. I heard one little girl talking to her friend. She said, never let your mother brush your hair when she's mad and in a hurry. We all get what she's saying to her friend. God has especially equipped you as a mom to pass on to your children a tender heart towards God and towards others. Again, that's not an excuse for dads, but chances are they're going to learn that from their mom. Number three, when we study the life of Eunice from these verses here, she sought grace for the inadequacies of her home. And chances are we could say fairly comprehensively, Every home represented here today has inadequacies because we're all sinners. We all have inadequacies in our home. And she sought grace for the inadequacies of her home. Eunice's husband was a Greek. It's mentioned that. It's mentioned in Acts chapter 16, verse 1. It says, when Paul came to town, he preached in one town, and he came to Lystra, and Lois and Eunice were saved. And it mentions that Eunice's husband was a Greek. In other words, he worshiped the pagan gods. What you have going here is here is a believer, the mom's a believer, and the husband is not. So that's the home that Timothy grew up in. And sometimes we say, well, that child has got a, he's got a tough start, you know. He doesn't know who to believe or who to follow, who to listen to. Well, Timothy grew up comparing, no doubt, the values and the lifestyle, comparing and contrasting his mom and his dad. And I'm sure there are some women here today who may be filled with discouragement, maybe even dread, because your husband is lost. He's an unbeliever, or he's backslidden. He's not living for God right now. Or he's out of the picture, he's left the home, and you've been left with the responsibility of rearing the children, as well as providing for them in a large capacity. And you may be thinking the job of raising a godly child or a godly teenager is virtually impossible. I can't do this by myself. It's not impossible. And God included this story in the New Testament for your encouragement, for your instruction. Single moms can do it. Single moms 
often depend upon the grace of God. They're often women of prayer. They're often, uh, because there's not a husband in the home, they're called upon maybe to fill both tasks, but they realize their inadequacy and they ask God for grace. And Eunice is a wonderful example of that. She instructed her child in the Scripture. She taught her son to maintain a tender heart. She sought grace for the inadequacies of her home. And number four, she influenced her child to serve the Lord. She no doubt knew Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. The word old there means when he has hair on his chin. doesn't mean when he's seven or even 17. It's talking about when he's older. So train up a child. Get your child in the track. Get him moving down the road of following the Lord. He may wander. He may get off track. He may fall in a ditch, but he'll come back to that track. Remember, Eunice only had the Old Testament. The New Testament was being written. Paul was writing his letters and John and and Luke and, and all of that. So she only had the Old Testament. She was a Hebrew when Paul met her. She only had the Old Testament scriptures and only had them when she was rearing her son. She took the Old Testament scriptures, which with all of its morality tales, and there's a lot of morality tales in the Old Testament, she used them. She used the wisdom literature. She used the Psalms, the the hymn book of the Old Testament. She took the legalistic list, all the do's and don'ts of the Old Testament, the 613 commands that God gave. But she took all of that. She drew upon all of that. And she taught her son and prepared him for salvation. And he got saved when Paul came to town. Most people come to Christ, as you probably well know, at a very early age. Most people who are saved get saved well before 16 years of age. Some of us got saved a little bit later. And if we did a poll right here in our church, most of you were saved early in life. Do you realize that most of the people that are in ministry, I'm an exception certainly, but most of the people that go into ministry come from devout Christian homes. Just think of the pastors in town. Just think of the pastors around the country. Most of them came from devout Christian homes. So moms, you do have a big job, but God will equip you and enable you along with your husband to do that job. Timothy became Paul's closest earthly companion. Luke was his physician. Barnabas traveled with him for a period of time. But Timothy was his closest earthly companion. Became the pastor of the church at Ephesus. Probably would say the Jerusalem church, church at Ephesus, maybe the church at Antioch were the three largest churches in the ancient world of several thousand. Became the church at Ephesus. Became the successor to Paul's international ministry. He traveled with him in his evangelistic team. Timothy wasn't Paul. Timothy was very different than Paul, but he was trained under Paul, and he became the heir to an international ministry that he had been a part of. And he became the one friend, the one friend that Paul invited to this Roman prison where he was going to die. He invited Timothy to leave the ministry at Ephesus, 
and to come to, and to minister to Paul before his martyrdom. It tells you how close they were for him to leave the pastorate for a period of time and come to minister to Paul. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 through 12 tell us that. So Timothy was tender. Timothy went into the ministry, at least we would say, certainly the calling of God, but partly because of the influence of his mother. She influenced her child to serve the Lord. Timothy became that kind of a godly man, at least in part because of Eunice's mother. Moms, don't sell yourself short. Don't buy what the world is selling about a career being absolutely necessary for fulfillment. There'll be time for that if that's God's will for you. But that's not really where fulfillment is found. That's what the world would proclaim. And that's why our country is trying to provide now in the Biden administration child care all the way down to the earliest ages that's paid for by the state because they want to get moms out of the home. They want children to become an heir of the state, to be indoctrinated by the state. Don't buy into the fulfillment idea that career is so fulfilling. What's fulfilling is raising a godly child that goes on to serve the Lord and makes a difference in this world in whatever career path they're in. Yours is a big and important job in the cause of Christ. It has been said, and I like it, an ounce of motherhood is worth more than a pound of clergyhood. We get that. A mother has more influence than the guy behind the pulpit this morning. A church and a Christian school can deposit facts into a child's head, but it takes a mom to translate it into everyday, spirit-filled, authentic Christian living. Yours is a big job. We honor you. We pray for you. May God help you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our moms. Some of us didn't grow up in a Christian home, but we still had moms that loved us and moms that prepared us for life. Thank you for Christian moms. May every woman here, may every mother here see the importance of their task, not to be overwhelmed by it, but to rise up and to ask for grace and then to fulfill their duty, their role, their responsibility. We live in a confusing time, Lord, for families and for children, even for moms and dads. But we know your word is clear, and as we follow it, you bless us, and you enable us, and you bless our homes. And that's what we ask for this morning, in Jesus' name, amen.